Hey, what's up, guys? It's Nikki, and you are listening to Evolution by Nikki, the podcast. I am here today with my very special guest, Lindsay Lockett. She does her very own trauma healing podcast, and um, this is the person who introduced me to the idea of healing my trauma. I had never even known that anything that happened to me in my life was even traumatic until I heard Lindsay describe what trauma was. And um, one of the most uh, shocking things that she said was the Webster's Dictionary uh, definition of trauma. And I wrote it down, so I said it right. It was a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. Um, So, Lindsay, I want you to define it because I will not do it justice. I'm not even going to try to come close to how you explain it. So, take it away. Okay. Well, hi, Nikki. (laughs) Thank you for having me on your show. I'm honored to be here. And, um, yeah, I also believe that the dictionary definition of trauma is a little bit underwhelming and incomplete. So I decided to create my own definition based on my experience and what I've experienced with clients. And that is that trauma is not the event itself. It is the way that your body is storing it. So, you don't have to remember it. So it could, it could be remembered. It could be forgotten. It could be completely unknown. But whatever it was triggered your fight, flight, or freeze responses and impaired the function of your autonomic nervous system that causes us to become stuck in these emotional, physical, spiritual, and ancestral loops of unhealthy emotional expression, physical illness, mental illness, and repeated generational patterns And it's stored in our bodies as low-frequency energy that must be consciously observed, felt, and released in order to heal. So that's my definition of trauma. I swear, I swear on everything I love, I just got the chills. I'm not even joking. I swear to God, my arms. Oh, Jesus. It's, like, embarrassing, like, how much this, like, I don't know. It's just unbelievable. Not at all embarrassing. I feel like I'm speaking to, like, I don't know, like, the president or something. I you're definitely I swear, not. <laughs> when you agreed, when you agreed to do this, I was like, "Holy shit, I made it big." I was like, Aww. "She's actually going to talk to me." It's like this is amazing. Um, well, I've, so I felt that about people that have been on my podcast too. So I totally know what it feels like. Yeah, it's like a surreal experience, and just to hear you recite that to me specifically, like, is just out of the. I don't know. It's out of the realm of anything I would have ever thought was possible. So I just appreciate you for even doing this, first of all. And um, that definition, your definition, changed my life. Um, It changed the way I thought about myself. Um, It changed... It changed my perception of my Mm self-worth and my value... And, and what I had to bring to the table, what, what I offered, because I stopped seeing that for a long time because it was covered by trauma yeah. and I lost myself and I had no idea what happened un- until I heard 
your definition of trauma. And I, it all came together in, in a moment. And I knew, I was like, I have a lot of work to do. Like, this is not going to be easy. And like I said to you earlier, you know, listening to you in the car, um, I, that was my hour and 15 minutes a day of therapy was, you know, driving and just crying by myself, crying sometimes in sadness, obviously, you know, but a lot of times in happiness, because I was like, this is making sense to me. I understand what she's saying. Like, Mm -hmm. This is speaking to me. This is like powerful stuff. And that's the only way that I can describe it to other people when I tell them about you and your podcast is like, it's just powerful. Like to have this knowledge is just powerful. Even if you don't suffer, even if you have never experienced trauma, I think to be trauma informed as any kind of a clinician or provider, I think to be trauma informed um, you need to be listening to something like your podcast because Thank you. if you don't, you have no idea. You have book knowledge and that's wonderful, but you don't have personal lived experience. Yeah, and there's a difference between intellectual knowledge and embodied knowledge. Absolutely. And yeah. I just think that if everyone could have the knowledge that you have on this topic, I think that the world would be a far better place because thank you so much. You're very welcome. And it's true. I'm honored. I'm very touched. Thank you. No, it really is true. I, I believe that I feel that 100%. And I'm grateful that there are people like you out there that, uh, willingly are sharing this information. And, you know, when you started out, you didn't start out charging people or pay, you know, making anybody pay. Like you started out, just the same way that I am, you know, and, and you grew and you built that. And, you know, it's just wonderful to watch that happen and to be a part of that and like, you know, become a follower of yours and then find my own path myself and somehow come back to circles back to you anyway. You know, like (laughs) who would have friggin' thought in September that I would launch a podcast on New Year's Eve? Which happens to be my daughter's birthday, by the way, which is why I did it that day. Thank you. Nice. Um, But yeah, I mean, I just really, I really fully, you know, just support all of the work that you do. And I just think it's wonderful. I do. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, So I guess kind of, I guess kind of really what I was wondering about next was, For me, when I realized that my childhood was traumatic, I instantly got flashbacks, like still shot, like images, just real quick in my mind of events. And um, it took a long time to process those individual still shots because I like tried to erase those memories And I just put them, you know, in that box and shoved them in the corner for a very long time. And um, there's only bits and pieces left now of those memories. And, you know, it's sad sometimes, too, because my mom passed in 2019 of opioid-related addiction issues. And um, even though we had a lot of great times, 
All I have, though, now are those snapshots of those terrible, traumatic times, all of those bad memories. Um, It seems somehow now outweigh the good. Um, So for me, processing that very first piece of trauma was painful and um, it was physically painful, like crying, laying in bed, can't move, can't think, can't breathe, heads pounding, your nose is stuffy, your throat hurts, like just the whole physicalness of it, you know, the physicality of it. Um, So I kind of just wanted to see if you would be willing to talk about your experience in processing trauma and, you know, maybe how you started off. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I started processing trauma I mean, I didn't, I don't think I was consciously aware that I was processing, processing trauma, but, um, I remember the first time I went to a Christian counselor whenever I was still in the church. Mm -hmm. So I was raised in the Southern Baptist church in the Bible belt in the South in Texas. Um, so, you know, mental health, mental illness, all of that is very stigmatized and you don't really talk about it, but if you have a problem, then you go see, a pastor and they give you Christian counseling. And so, um, I just remember feeling all of this anxiety in my body and anxiety in my relationship and anxiety about myself as a mother and guilt about myself as a mother and, um, anger towards, especially my stepfather, um, who I feel like that was probably like the first, you know, trauma I was really processing was with my stepfather and some of the abuse and the way that that created, sensation in my body and limiting beliefs and patterns that weren't serving me anymore and all of that. Of course, none of what I just described to you really came up during that processing because it was a Christian counselor. So Mm -hmm. they were basically like telling me what the Bible has to say about it and how God could heal me and all of these things. Um, So it wasn't super helpful. And then in 2017, I started going to EMDR. Um, I had been seeing a naturopath for several months and I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of sleep issues, um, weird, just weird things like weird liver things and just chronic, mysterious, weird things. And after a few months of her treating me with acupuncture and homeopathy and different herbs, one day she finally said, um, have you ever heard of EMDR? I'm going to refer you to an EMDR therapist. And that changed my life because it opened the the door for me to have an experience, a therapeutic experience with a clinician um, to process some things that had been buried inside of my body for at that point over a decade. And after my very first EMDR session, I had this massive release of anxiety. And I remember walking out after the session and just feeling like, an hour before I had walked in and now an hour later I walked out and it was like 50% of the anxiety that I felt was just like gone. And it was incredible. Like it was incredible for me. And I processed over the course of the next like year and a half, I processed religious trauma, postpartum depression with my daughter, um, some traumatic incidents that happened with members of my husband's family. I mean, I processed all kinds of shit. Can I say shit on your podcast? Oh yeah. All the time. Um, We we encourage it. (laughs) Good. All right. So yeah, I just processed all kinds of shit and it was really cathartic and healing and therapeutic for me and highly, highly recommend. 
But then I started going through a different kind of difficulty in 2018 and my marriage was falling apart. Basically anything that could go wrong in my life did go wrong. Everything from my house, like things just breaking in my house. We had a chimney fire in February of 2018. Then our sauna burned in November of 2018. And basically like in between these two fires, like my husband's grandmother passed away. Um, My husband was going through an identity crisis uh, we decided to put our kids uh, from homeschooling into public school. So we were going through that transition. We were having some financial difficulties. Like it was just like thing after thing, after thing, after thing. And I kept going to my therapist, my EMDR therapist, and she kept doing EMDR with me, but it wasn't helping this time. And I started to get really fed up with it and just feeling more and more and more and more desperate. And, um, you know, my story. So the mm-hmm. short version of all of that is that, um, I experienced basically a physical and a mental health crisis mm-hmm. wherein I ended up attempting to kill myself on March 7th of 2019. And I checked myself into the hospital after that. Um, I was there for five days. I got on a cocktail of psych meds that were extremely beneficial for me. Um, and then I vowed to myself that I was going to figure out what got me to the place of trying to kill myself and hospitalizing myself and dig my way out of it. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. And I never went back to my EMDR therapist um, because I just, I felt a little bit disenchanted by it, I guess. Um, I think maybe now I could go back and it would be fine, but I got so frustrated with her because I realized that EMDR is fantastic for processing um, like trauma from the past, like something, an event or a situation that is, it's over. Um, But in your body, there's that closure isn't there. Like I find EMDR for really amazing for bringing that closure um, when an event is already over. But when you're going through real time trauma and trying to process it through EMDR, it just doesn't work or it didn't work for me. Um, so I also just decided that I was going to find a different way and I didn't want to talk about my problems anymore because I knew that they lived in my body. Excuse me. And that's when I started learning about the nervous system and I just started devouring information about the autonomic nervous system and the limbic system and basically just, becoming a guinea pig for myself to figure out what worked, how to regulate my nervous system, how to bring myself from a state of activation to a state of safety. And then I experienced the trickle down effects of healing some of those chronic and mysterious health symptoms that my naturopath sent me to EMDR for Mm -hmm. from the very beginning. So did that answer your question? Yes. 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 I just like, I identified so much with, you know, everything that you just said. And um, EMDR is something that I've been looking into for quite some time now. Um, I did recently just switch uh, to a new therapist. And so um, I'm exploring uh, different things with her right now. Um, For specifically, we're focusing on like self esteem and stuff. Um, But EMDR is something that I want to do separately other than, you know, seeing her, um, cause I feel like both of those things are equally as important, you know, dealing with both of them. Um, but I am limited, um, on, you know, what I know about EMDR. So being that you've actually gone through it and experienced it, 
Um, can you explain exactly what it is? Well, I can explain what it is from a client standpoint because I'm not a therapist right. and so I, I don't have any formal training right. in EMDR, but my experience with it is that EMDR stands for um, eye movement desensitization, desensitization and reprocessing therapy. So um, the, the gist of it is that you experience bilateral brain stimulation. So both sides of your brain are being stimulated either through following a light with your eyes back and forth or by holding buzzers in your hands that vibrate back and forth. Or for some people, they wear headphones and the sound um, goes in one ear and then the other ear and then back and forth. Um, But basically, these stimuli are to help your brain be using both hemispheres at the same time. Um, And then you process through a memory or a feeling or something. So for me, I initially went to EMDR because um, I had really severe postpartum depression after my daughter was born um, to the point that when she was about six weeks old and our breastfeeding journey was not going very well, I also had a 17 month old. In addition to a newborn, I didn't have very much support. My mother was also addicted to Oxycontin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I didn't have the support of my mother. My husband was working and couldn't really get time off. So I didn't have the support of my husband. And I basically just had no support. And I had these two babies and I was very postpartum. And um, when she was six weeks old, she was just crying and crying, crying one day. And I closed my eyes. I was holding her, rocking her, trying to get her to go to sleep. And I closed my eyes, and when I did that, I squeezed her really, really hard, like harder than I should have. And I didn't hurt her, but whenever I squeezed her, I had this vision or this visualization of myself throwing her out the window. And um, I sort of like woke up, I was jolted by the fact that I had even had this mental image. And I stood up, I put her down in her crib, she was still crying. I closed the door and I went out and I called my doctor, um, my OBGYN, and I was like, something's wrong. I'm not okay. Like, I just had this mental image of me throwing my baby out the window. Mm -hmm. So I got on antidepressants um, and I was on Lexapro and it's not safe to breastfeed while you take Lexapro. So I had to quit nursing cold turkey so that I could start taking Lexapro. I didn't have a bond with my baby anyway, um, due to being induced with labor and Pitocin acting on my own body's ability to produce oxytocin whenever she was born, which is the bonding hormone. That's a whole story in and of itself. But, um, yeah, so I started taking Lexapro because it's the only thing I really knew to do. And after about 10 months of being on the Lexapro, I quit, quit a cold turkey actually, which is a really terrible idea, but I did it. Um, and then I just kept going. I just kept living my life. And then later on, like, you know, five, six, seven years later, started experiencing anxiety, but I didn't know it was anxiety. I hadn't been taught like how to listen to my body to identify what that feeling was. All I know is that it felt like this, um, this like constant need to move, um, to be busy, Like I was obsessed with cleaning my house and it's not because I have a fear of germs. It was just like, I needed everything to be in order all the time. I needed everything to be clean all the time. Everything needed to be organized all the time. Um, I was really involved in our church. Um, I was a stay at home mom. And so I was like needing to be this like perfect Christian wife and mother. 
and there was a lot of perfectionism and like um, a lot of performance that I felt like I was having to give. I don't know who I was performing for, but it felt now that I look back on it, it felt like a performance. Um, and just very hard on myself, very perfectionistic, very um, overachieving type A kind of kind of situation or personality. Um, and just, you know, when you live that way for a few years, that's like chronic activation of your nervous system. So my nervous system was like always on, you know, like it's like somebody pressed the on button and it got stuck and it just stayed on. And the longer I went on, even though like my daughter was older and she was not even a toddler anymore and she was, you know, little and learning to read and my other child was older and he was reading and like becoming independent, I just felt more and more um, anxious and my sleep was disrupted. And at one point I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism and my hair was falling out and like, it was just all these weird things. And, um, anyway, so the EMDR, like I, I realized I just got off on a tangent. Oh, but <laughs> I loved it. I um, loved it. Every okay. <laughs> moment of it. No, that was okay. wonderful. Well, so <laughs> to get back to the EMDR explanation, like basically, um, you know, all of that anxiety and, and the weird symptoms is what landed me in EMDR to begin with. Mm-hmm. So the first day that I went in, um, to have my therapy session, um, the therapist was like, you know, is there a specific memory or thing that you would like to process today? And the first thing that came to my mind was this, this incident with my daughter of imagining throwing her out the window. And I had always felt a ton of guilt and shame about that. I had always really beat myself up because I felt like I was a bad mother because I had that, um, mental image or that desire. Um, I had always like tried to overcompensate with my daughter, like, because I didn't want her to energetically like feel like I had rejected her or that I wanted to hurt her. So I was like always just trying to kind of overdo it because I did, I felt so guilty. And, um, so that's what I told the therapist. I was like, I'd like to process this whole, you know, event of having postpartum depression, um, after my daughter was born, the not bonding with her, picturing throwing her out the window, the lack of support, like all of it to me was all one big event. It wasn't like, it wasn't just the thing, the day that I tried to throw or that I thought about throwing her out the window. It was like the whole event, like the Mm -hmm. being induced with labor, not bonding with her, not having support after she was born, being home by myself. Like it was all of it. it was one thing for me. So we turned on the hand buzzers. That's what I was using. So they were vibrating back and forth in my hands. And, um, then she asked me to describe what I just described to you. So I described it in detail. And then the question was, and what does that make you think or feel about yourself? And my immediate answer, because this is how I'd felt about myself at this point, I'd been 11, my daughter was 11 years old. So I'd been dealing with this guilt and this anxiety for like 11 years. And she was like, what does this make you think or feel about yourself? And my immediate answer without thinking about it all was I was a bad mother. Like what mother thinks that about their child? I was a bad mother. And then, so that's the beginning of the session. And then as you go through, the buzzers are still vibrating back and forth in my hand and I'm processing other things and she's asking me other questions and I'm giving answers and feeling into my body. And I noticed that I felt a lot of um, tightness in my throat. And I also felt a lot of um, like clenching in my pelvic floor, um, like, like anal retentive kind of clenching. 
Um, and so we just noticed that and she invited me to feel that and then to, to relax it if I could. And then we got to the end of the session and after processing through all of this, she asked the question again, now, how do you think or feel about yourself? And without hesitating, without like even knowing that this is what I was going to say, my immediate answer was, I'm not a bad mother. I put her down and I called for help. I did the right thing. And to have that big of a shift in an hour was huge. I I literally, it had never occurred to me before that moment that I had actually done the right thing. I literally did not harm my child. I put her down. I made sure she was safe. And I went and I called for help. I was a good mother. Like, that's what good mothers do, right? I'd never given myself credit for that ever. It had never even occurred to me that I did the right thing because I was beating myself up so much for years and then experiencing the anxiety from it. Cause you can't beat yourself up for years and not have, you know, other effects in your life, like mm-hmm. anxiety or depression or panic attacks or whatever. So, um, yeah, I realized that you asked me to kind of explain EMDR and I used an anecdote of a story and my experience with it instead, but that's the best way I know how to explain it. No, and- it was perfect. <laughs> and and I think um, it's just everything that you said is also like such a good segue into so many things that I talk about or am going to talk about in my podcast because I haven't gotten, you know, um, to my depression and anxiety yet in my timeline. So just like listening to you say all that, I mean, something that you said that I, I didn't know, I hadn't heard you say before this is, um, about being induced with your daughter and not feeling bonding. And I think that is very interesting because my daughter, uh, was my firstborn and she was a week and a day late and I was induced, right? And I felt the same exact thing with her that you're describing. And even for years after, years after, I just felt like there was something weird there that was missing. And I didn't know it was missing until I had my son and I was supposed to be induced with my son on a Thursday, but I went into labor on Wednesday naturally and didn't need to be induced. So obviously there was no Pitocin involved. And immediately, immediately, different bond. Completely yeah. different bond. And I never knew why until yeah. literally just, what was that, a five minutes ago when you said that? I don't even know. Yeah. Like I well, never um, have heard that ever in my life. But there's research on it. There is research on it. So, I mean, I'm not a birth expert or a nurse or anything, but there is research. You can find it pretty easily that talks about the uh, correlation between administration of Pitocin, which is synthetic oxytocin, and a woman's ability to produce her own natural oxytocin, which is that's usually what mothers experience. I mean, it is not usually, but it is what mothers experience. Like when your baby is born and you have that rush of like love and bonding and like, Oh my God, this is my baby. And like, I'm head over heels. Like that's because of oxytocin. Um, so whenever you administer synthetic oxytocin, it 
fucks with the messages going to the brain and the brain is like, I don't need to produce oxytocin. It's already in the bloodstream because of the Pitocin. Right. Um, so there's a link between postpartum depression and labor induction or administration of Pitocin. Um, it actually, depending on the source you look at, the one that I um, use is, it's like a 35 to 40% increase in the risk of postpartum depression following labor induction. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big, um, correlation there, but, um, yeah. So nowadays, like I, I try to be so careful. I would never tell a mother, like, don't be induced, whatever you do, don't be induced. I would never say that, but I'm always like secretly hoping that someone who's planning on being induced will go into labor naturally and not be induced because I've experienced what it's like to be induced. And, and my first baby was no Pitocin, no induction at all. And same as you, the experience was completely different. I mean, after, after my daughter was born, I was almost dissociated. It was like, they were, they were over like cleaning her up and I was delivering the placenta and then they brought her over to me and I was like holding her and I looked down at her and I looked up at my husband and I go, is she ours? I mean, it was like, I just, I had just seen her come out of my body, be cleaned up and then laid on me. And I was still just like, I, I don't feel like she's mine. I knew something was wrong when I left the hospital with my daughter. Um, I didn't know what it was. But it was this overwhelming sense of impending doom and dread. I felt the exact. I felt the exact. Same I way. strapped her in the car seat. I could cry just thinking about it. I strapped her in the car seat and I tucked her into this beautiful, custom-made car seat cover, freaking pink, like beautiful. And I started hysterical crying. And I couldn't stop. And and we're walking out. And my husband's carrying it. And he's asking me if I'm okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just so excited to bring her home. But in my mind, I'm going, I don't want to be a fucking mother. I don't want to yeah. do this. I'm yeah. like, in my mind, I'm like, can we just leave? Can Can we just go? Like, I was so petrified. And then... There was actually, I don't know if it was a security guard or what, but they saw me crying just as we were passing the doors, like the threshold. It was bizarre. The threshold was opening. This guy saw me crying and he asked me if I was okay. And it was like the perfect opportunity to tell the truth, right? Mm -hmm. to, to be like, no, I'm not. But I still kept up the facade and was like, no, I'm just really excited to take her home. And I went on my merry way. And um, every single time I breastfed for five days, I stared off into a corner for hours after I gave her to my husband and just cried and cried alone in a room for hours. And he would only bring her to me to nurse. I would lay in bed and just cry and people were coming over to visit. They didn't see me because I was in my room. My friends were coming over. One of my friends was even coming to clean and she was fluffing my pillows on my couch and, you know, doing stuff for me. And, um, 
I, I just couldn't shake this feeling. And it was worse, though, every time I breastfed. And I had my husband call at one point the doctor because I'm laying in bed for days now, days. And I'm like, I don't want to be a mom. I don't, this is not the life I want for myself. Like, and then I'm going, I didn't sign up for this. What the fuck is this? Yeah. And then I felt like a terrible mother. Yep. Because I'm like, how fucking dare you? You know, you selfish bitch. You wanted this child and now you're saying you don't want to be a mother? And as soon as I stopped breastfeeding, all those feelings went away. All of them. Did they go away or did not breastfeeding mean that you could dissociate from them? I don't know. Um, that's an interesting perspective. I I had just always thought it had something to do with the way my body processed oxytocin. And I just thought that it had to do with my body not reacting well to an influx of oxytocin. And I just made that conclusion myself from the fact that I said, fuck this, I'm done with breastfeeding. I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm just crying for hours afterwards. Like, what is the point? You know, like bottle or breast, like what, as long as she's fed, right? Like as long as she's not starving. So then I just, I I let them dry up. You know, I wrapped myself in cabbage leaves and ace bandages and, you know, all those things. And uh, I just prayed for the best. And thank God, you know, I came through it um, with her and it was not really any longer postpartum depression at that point. Um, it was just full blown, um, like full blown depression in that it wasn't related to her anymore. It was at that time I started doing a lot of thinking about my mom because now I have a child and she doesn't know her grandmother and my mother's not around to help me raise her. And so I'm doing a lot of thinking about my mom and then thinking about how shitty my relationship with my father is and and how I wish I had this wholesome American family and, you know, my job is not appreciative of me. They don't value me. I'm just a number. I've been working for how many years and I'm not making any more money. Where am I really going? I've lost my identity. I'm just a mom now. I'm nothing to nobody. I have no value. What do I have to offer? Why does any why would anybody love me? These are the things that would go through my head constantly like rapid fire. It was just it was it never ended. Never yeah. ended. The negative self-talk never ended. And one day, um I had a traumatic event and um I was on Xanax um at this point already. Um as prescribed by a primary care physician for anxiety. Um, And I had had a very traumatic event. um, And I went home and I said, I don't want to wake up. I didn't want to die. I didn't say I want to die. I didn't feel like I wanted to die. But I said to myself, I don't want to wake up. So I took a handful of Xanax. I didn't count them really, um, but a lot. And I took them and I went to sleep. 
I didn't say anything to my boyfriend, who is my now husband. I didn't say anything to him. And I, I just went to sleep because I knew that this particular day, everyone was going to be calling me asking what happened about a particular incident. And I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to answer questions. I didn't want anybody to know the truth. I didn't want to talk about it. So I figured if I could just sleep away this time, I can wake up and it'll all be over. I won't have to deal with any of it. It was the most ass backwards fucking logic. But in the moment, I felt like it was my only choice. So I took the pills and I went to sleep and I woke up um, a little while later and couldn't walk like I was falling all over the place. I had a glass in my hand and I was going to get water and I went to go put the cup on the counter and I missed the counter and the glass crashed to the ground and broke and, you know, a million pieces. And I just got down on my hands and knees and started sweeping up the glass with my hands. And then I wiped my face and I had glass on my face. I had blood on my hand, blood on my face. And my boyfriend walks in from work at this time and finds me on the floor crying with glass and and blood. And I just went, I think I took too many Xanax. I think you need to take me to the emergency room. And so he took me to the emergency room and they had me on a a psych hold. And, um, you know, they evaluated me and in the end they they determined that I was no longer a threat to myself or others. So they let me go, but, you know, they um, had referred me to their um, outpatient program for treatment, and I complied with treatment. I did everything I was supposed to do, took all of my medication. I never missed, um, never missed a therapy session or psychiatrist appointment. You know, um, I, was, I was a model patient after that. Um, but that, that wasn't the end, obviously, of my journey. That was really just the beginning of a very long road to recovery, um, and overall wellness. Um, but that was, that was a very, very scary, very real moment for me, um, which brought about a lot of traumatic feelings because in that moment I became my mother. I became the thing that I hated the most in this world, the thing that I tried the absolute hardest not to become. And in that in that decision, in that moment, on that day, I became her. And I vowed to never do that again. So every single time I go to a doctor now, no matter who it is, um, before they prescribe me anything, I tell them um, that my mother uh, was an opioid addict. I have a history of addiction in the family. I'm predisposed to addictive behaviors, and um, I should not be on Xanax. <laughs> you know, I, I like just this is my rap sheet. Like I go in and I just give this information willingly now because I'm not trying to be on the wrong side of this thing anymore. You know, I can't, I can't do that. So, uh, you know, I, I just think that 
understanding this trauma and, and like you said, processing the trauma of that vision of your daughter in EMDR, um, you know, doing that to your daughter. I feel like m- me potentially going to EMDR and, you know, processing the trauma of the decision of taking those Xanax that day and ending up in a fucking white room where there's everything is bolted to the floor. There's no, there's no nothing. There's nothing in the room because you can't have anything because everything is a potential suicide risk, you know? Yeah. So like, and then you sit there and you're like, how the fuck did I get here? How did I get here? Yeah. You know, I think that based on what you're saying about EMDR, you know, it just further solidifies it in my mind that it's definitely something that I need to personally pursue, um, you know, because I think there's obviously still tremendous work to be done on myself. You know, I'm, I just started this journey in September, so I'm not anywhere near done yet. Um, but I have made leaps and bounds of progress from where I was in September. Um, and, you know, I found my voice again and I realized that my voice matters and my opinion matters. And I don't need to be a doctor. I don't need to have a PhD for people to listen to me. You know, I deserve (laughs) to be listened to for the person that I am and what I have to offer as who I am. I shouldn't have to pretend to be anybody for anyone or to fit in anywhere. And that's what I was doing for so long. I was putting on a performance for everybody yeah, and for myself, you know, until I didn't even believe my own shit anymore, (laughs) you know? So I just think that that is, um, an amazing, an amazing thing to have EMDR therapy. Like that, that's just an amazing opportunity for so many people. And I feel like there's probably a large portion of the mental health community that doesn't even know that that's an option doesn't even know that that exists well it takes I know it takes therapists quite a bit of training and I think to get certified to be an EMDR therapist um not only is it like labor intensive and time intensive but I think it's pretty expensive oh okay so um you know, I, I mean, I don't know, but yeah, it's definitely an option for, for people. And I just want to thank you, Nikki, for so vulnerably sharing your story. And that took a lot of courage. And, you know, I think now that I know what I know about the nervous system, um, it's really changed my entire perspective, literally on the world. And like, I know it might sound dramatic to say that, but it's it's not dramatic for me because, I have so much compassion for, for addicts, for people who cause harm, for narcissists, for people pleasers, for perfectionists, for people who dissociate. Like I have so much compassion for all of those people because I know that their nervous system is so dysregulated and they're really just doing everything they can to try to come to feeling regulated. Absolutely. You know, so whether it's a suicide attempt or drinking to pass out or taking a bunch of Xanax or zoning out on video games or eating or porn or being in a codependent relationship or having panic attacks or being in depression or, I mean, whatever it is, it's literally just 
their nervous system is doing the best that it can to try to regulate itself. And when you look at the world as a bunch of nervous systems, we're all just a bunch of nervous systems. And all of our nervous systems are impacted differently by trauma. And, you know, I, I grew up with two younger brothers and uh, one of them is eight years younger than me. So I don't really compare our childhoods, but my other younger brother is only 15 months younger than me. So I feel like, you know, we were raised in the same home, same parents, same food, same access to education and resources. Like everything was the same, but my nervous system for whatever reason was less resilient than his, you know, and he grew up and he's now this incredible, he's an incredible person. He's super laid back. He's an amazing dad. He's like, nothing really upsets him. Really. He just, he moves through things really easily. He's very forgiving. He's very loving. Like he's just, he's an amazing person. Um, he doesn't have anxiety. He doesn't struggle to sleep. He doesn't have health problems. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was resilient and for whatever reason, same home, same parents, same circumstances. I had a completely different outcome. Yeah. I don't know why that is other than my nervous system just wasn't as resilient as his. And the whole focus of my work now is to help people understand that regardless of what place your nervous system is in, you can still do things and take steps to create more capacity and resiliency in your nervous system. And like, I'm almost 40 years old and without a doubt, I can say that my nervous system is more resilient now than it's ever been in my life, including when I was a kid. So I'm evidence that this healing is possible. And for me healing, I mean, EMDR was certainly a tool Um, but it wasn't nervous system focused enough for Mm me. Um, so that's the only thing that I would say, like, I don't want to discourage anyone for, from getting EMDR because it is an amazing therapy and it really does work. But to me, you have to also incorporate the nervous system aspect to it as well and consciousness. So for me, healing was found at I call it the intersection of consciousness and nervous system work. And it was like waking up to my own shit and then learning how to regulate so that I wasn't trying to do the same shit. (laughs) Amen. Right. Amen. I like the definition of insanity, right? You do the same thing over and over, but expect a different result. I feel like one day it just clicked for me. And I was like, if I want shit to change, I need to initiate change. I can't depend on anybody else to do it for me anymore because look where it's gotten me. Nowhere. Yep. Nowhere. So then I I woke (laughs) up. I woke up one day. I swear it was like a a switch was flipped in me or something. And it just, I don't know, it just, things started to make sense again in a way that they hadn't made sense in a very long time. And... You know, I'm just so grateful now for every day that I have an opportunity to share my story and to make connections with other people. And, um, you know, I changed my line of work and now I work at a, you know, rehab facility for adolescents and I'm going to school for my uh, drug and alcohol uh, counselor certificate. So I did like a complete career change, life change, everything. 
Um, but I used to have the Sunday blues every day. You know, every single day was just a dread. And um, I looked forward to going to sleep as soon as I woke up in the morning. I like wanted no part of the day. And now I can honestly say that I go to bed every night looking forward to waking up the next day. It doesn't matter if I'm going to work or if I'm going on vacation. I look forward to every day now just the same. And yeah, and you've made conscious choices absolutely. that support the reality you're wanting to create for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so kind of, I guess, just to like wrap it up, I guess, um, I would say like, I mean, you're, all of your words are full of wisdom, so I can't even say like, what words of wisdom do you want to impart? Because I feel like all of it is full of wisdom. Um, but I guess if there's, if there's some kind of like, um, like a message that you would want to get out just in general about, um, nervous system awareness and, um, trauma, like if there's something somebody needs to hear, what do you think that would be? Well, first, everyone has trauma. Even if you think your childhood was picture perfect, you still have trauma because no parents are perfect. Um, and if you experience chronic or mysterious health symptoms, those are really, really good signs that your nervous system is challenged in some way or impaired in some way. And when I say nervous system, I'm, t I'm meaning your autonomic nervous system, not your central nervous system. Um, so I wish people knew more about the brain injury and nervous system dysregulation that is a result of trauma whether the trauma was like a one-time event, like you were, you know, in the army and you were involved in a bombing in Afghanistan, like that is absolutely trauma. And also trauma is like your passive aggressive mother, you know, when you were a little kid, like that's trauma too. And it, it takes a toll on your nervous system. And so yeah, I just want people to understand their nervous systems and how they work and how they're affected by trauma and that without formal training or credentials or a master's degree in therapy or anything, you really can learn to work with your own nervous system to connect to your body again. So much of trauma is like dissociation, you know, it's like because it's too much for our bodies, we just like retreat into our minds or we retreat into like taking pills or drinking to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to feel it. Um, so, you know, you're going to have to feel it again. That's part of healing. Feeling is healing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I have so many things that I could say. I know, I not, know. That was so broad. Linear, it's not a linear process either. No. It's not like, oh, you wake up and then you learn about your nervous system and then you regulate your nervous system and then all of a sudden life is better. Like it, you know, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Sometimes, yes. sometimes you have to go down a really dark hole of, like you were saying, like memories, you know, mm -hmm. that you would, you wish you didn't have, like yeah. things like that. But what came up for me as you were saying that in the beginning, and maybe this is a great thing to um, to finish up with, is that like you were saying that it's almost like whenever you began to realize like the memories that you had when you were driving your car that day and like you had all of these memories come up about your mom and your childhood and because you heard what I shared about trauma. And 
a lot of people would have something like that come up and they would like turn off the podcast. Like I can't listen to this anymore. It just brings up too much and I don't have time to deal with any of this right now. Right. Mm -hmm. But I love what you did because it's a beautiful example of how I believe the universe wants us to be well. And when we're ready, even if we don't know we're ready, but when the universe is ready for us to heal, we, we come across people or podcasts or a book or somebody on Instagram, or we meet somebody at the park or like we have these random encounters that is an initiation into the healing work that is beginning. And like you listened to the podcast and you had all of these horrible memories surface that you hadn't remembered up until that point. And what that tells me is that you were ready to know that those memories were there or you wouldn't have had them. And our bodies are beautifully designed to protect us. And one of the ways that our bodies protect us is through dissociation. So when something gets too much for us, we dissociate and we you know, we go into our heads or we like pretend like it's not happening or whatever. And dissociation gets a really bad rap, but actually dissociation is such a gift Mm -hmm. because it saves us from the very real, uh, in the moment trauma. Now where dissociation gets us in trouble is when we remain in a dissociated place and we're kind of like, Oh, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine all the time, you know? But I also believe that because of dissociation and our bodies are what dissociates. So it's a beautiful protection. And at the same time, when those memories begin to resurface that you didn't even realize you had, it's also coming from the body because that's where those memories are stored. And the memories come in your mind because there's communication between your mind and your body, right? Mm -hmm. But 80% of the communication isn't from your mind to your body. It's actually from your body to your brain. So when you hear something like a podcast or you read that book or you come across that person who says this thing and suddenly you have this resurgence of these memories, to me, that is an invitation from the universe to heal because what was inaccessible to you before, which was those memories because of dissociation, now that person, that podcast, that book, that Instagram account, whatever it was, is like, it's now inviting you to remember through your body so that you can heal it. And our bodies won't let us remember or feel anything that is going to hurt us or that's too much um, or that we're not ready for. And so the fact that you even had those memories come up as you were listening to the podcast, I don't think it has anything to do with the podcast. I think the podcast was just, that was the breadcrumb that the universe was leaving for you that day. It could have been a book. It could have been somebody's Instagram account. It could have been somebody you met at work. I mean, it could have been anything. Mm -hmm. It just happened to be the podcast, but that was the universe sort of tapping you on the shoulder and being like, Hey, now you've just heard this. It's resonated with you. You know it to be true. Even if you don't have an explanation for why you know it to be true, you know it to be true. And you suddenly have access to these things that you had you know, tucked away and like put in a box and put in the top of a closet somewhere. Mm -hmm. You suddenly have access to it. And to me, it's the most beautiful thing because with awareness and with learning how to work with your nervous system, with those memories, you can actually heal what has been stored inside of you since you were a little girl that you didn't even realize was there. And I wish more people knew that. I wish more people saw the resonance that they feel in their bodies 
And instead of closing off to it because they're afraid of what else is there, seeing it as an invitation to heal because if it's coming up, it's ready. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when I heard you, you know, speaking about it for the first time, I knew, you know, as soon as it it must've been not even like two minutes of listening to you. It, It couldn't have been more than two minutes. And I was like, I need to listen to every single episode. Like I was fully invested at that point. And I was like, there's something here. There, there's something big here and I need to be persistent. Like I need to just keep going. And, you know, not every episode applied to me, obviously, because, sure. you know, I didn't, I guess, I guess I probably do have religious trauma in that I was raised in a Catholic school my entire existence and even went to a Jesuit college, but I never considered myself religious, like, even though I went to Catholic school, um, I was never godly, you know, that was not, that was not me, um, but I wouldn't say trauma like, you know, your religious trauma, the things that you have experienced and things that you've described, you know, I wouldn't say that. Um, but everything else, you know, I was just like, oh, mom, there's just too much here. I really need to do some work. Like, and yeah. so I just started, I just, you know, dug in and I would just listen to as much as I could listen to on the way to work or on the way home and, and um, pretty much like a month after I found your podcast, I decided to quit my job and pursue oh a whole different life for myself. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so amazing. That gives me chills. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it I really it. was, it really was that powerful. And people think I'm crazy. I think when I tell them like, you know, how I found this podcast and have you heard about trauma and did you know that trauma can do X, Y, and Z in your body? And, you know, everyone's like, you sound batshit crazy. And I'm like, but do I really? Well, or <laughs> are you just in denial? <laughs> you know? I mean, like, you, maybe, maybe, maybe you do sound batshit crazy. Maybe I sound batshit crazy. Like, it's totally possible that we're batshit crazy. And also, like we're healing shit, yeah, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I don't, I mean, if it, if you heal it, does it really matter Absolutely. how it came about? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. I totally agree. But I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to come on today. And um, I just really, really can't thank you enough and can't reiterate how important what you're doing is because, um, it provided me hope when I didn't think I had had an, I didn't have any left. I I thought I had exhausted it all, you know? So I just really, really am appreciative. I'm honored. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing that with me. You're welcome. (laughs) I, you know, I'm just in a place in my life now where I've realized, um, you need to tell people who affect you positively Um, and who you learn something valuable from. I think everyone deserves to know when what they're doing makes a difference because too often time goes by and um, people think the work that they're doing uh, doesn't matter or isn't making a difference. Um, 
And that's not the truth. Um, You know, if everyone who was affected by your work were to reach out, you would never have a moment of free time. I guarantee it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would I would much rather like I mean, what you're speaking is true. And this is a whole different conversation. But, you know, for for people like me and like you who create content, especially for free and they and put it out in podcasts or on Instagram or whatever, even for people who write books and all that, like it really is so meaningful that, you know, take a minute and leave somebody a good book review. If you love their book, take a minute and leave somebody a good podcast review, like give it a five star rating or whatever. But like those things really do help. Um, and it helps that information get into the hands of more people because the more good ratings something has, whether it's a book on Amazon or a podcast on Spotify, the more ratings something has, the more likely the algorithm of Amazon or Spotify is going to show that to right. other people. Right. So, you know, not only does it like inflate me a little bit, and make <laughs> me feel all warm and fuzzy, but yeah. also like it, it really helps people out if you are affected or touched by someone's work like figure out how you can leave them a good review somewhere because it really matters absolutely and that's what I've been doing I've been reaching out to everybody who has helped me the past two years um you know I've gone back to IOP where I went in 2019 I thanked uh the doctor that owns the practice I emailed him directly Um, You know, my psychiatrist who managed my medications over the past two years, every interaction, every change, every everything, you know, had genetics testing done on me, you know, just everybody who has played a part in getting me to where I am now. And I just feel like it's very important that, like I said, people know when they're making a difference because uh, it's important. Um, And obviously everyone seeks to be validated on some level, right? So it's nice to know that your work is being well received, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's, I mean, that's why I put it out there. It's sure. I love being told that people are touched by my work or whatever. I love that. But really when, when somebody has experienced healing on a deep level, like there's nothing in the world that compares to that. And for me to have played a small part in anyone's journey is very humbling to me. And I don't take it lightly at all. And, and now you're doing it too. I mean, your life was changed and you're making those conscious choices to create the reality that you want and that are in alignment with who you are and you're doing the healing work and now you're helping others. So If we all paid it forward a little bit, that's, the world would heal faster. That's what I was just going to say. I was going to say my mantra really is pay it forward because, you know, I, I spent too long in a very dark place and um, every day is too special to waste any more time um, not being anything less than genuine, not being anything less than 100% honest and upfront and open um, and trying to change and save lives so that way you know nobody has to go down for example particularly with my my job at the rehab so that those kids don't have to go down my mom's path you know um I couldn't save her but I can try to save them 
you know, yeah. and even if I'm unsuccessful 90% of the time, I don't care. That 10% is worth all the hard work, all yeah. the sacrifice, all the, you know, everything. So yeah, that's where yeah. I'm at. Well, you might enjoy, you might enjoy a book. Um, it's called The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible by Charles Eisenstein. Um, and he talks in that book about, you know, how a person taking care of their grandmother in hospice or a person like you working with challenged youth or like, you know, you're probably never going to make the headlines, the news, like, you know, I, I mean, you're, the impact that you think you're making is, is very small, but do we want to live in a world where acts like that aren't just as important as, you know, like really big philanthropic, um, you know, acts, right. you know, like, of mm-hmm. course we want to live in a world where a person, a regular person like you healing themselves and trying to help other people heal where that matters just as much as what some of the greatest philanthropists and gurus of history have ever done, you know, like right. absolutely, nothing is, nothing is too small to make an impact. Like you throw a tiny pebble into a pond and it still has ripples. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, Thank you, Nikki. Yes, it was wonderful having you on. I am going to just, uh, I'm going to pause the recording for a moment. Recording stopped. Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you on Friday.